Greetings. This evening's Dharma talk title is based on the seventh of the ten prohibitory precepts in the Soto Zen Buddhist lineage. There's lots of ways this is translated. Uh, lots of ways that is sometimes translated in different ways so that it doesn't even sound like the same precept or guideline. And you observe precepts. These are not, this is not something you obey. And so how you observe this, receive this, is going to show up differently depending on the particular lake or mud puddle of confusion that your life is submerged in. Only Buddha, only Buddha action, only awakened, Buddha means awake, only, only awakened action exists. That's impossible, isn't it? How can that be true with all the chaos, all the warfare, not only in the streets, in the world, in the nations, but in our own mind stream. How can that possibly be Buddha action? So what is being said? Well, first of all, Unyo, would you recite that precept slowly, please? The seventh prohibitory precept, no praise or blame. Only Buddha action exists to know there is no one to hurt and no one to be hurt, no one to benefit and no one to be benefited. We bow to all beings and openly acknowledge what has been done. Isn't that outrageous? Outrageous that we can just, in the face of all the craziness in our own mind, in our neighborhood, in our world, uh, in, our, in our families, that you could observe that precept only but action exists. No praise or blame. No one, there's no, no one who to blame. There's no one to praise. And this is a speaking, this is a, a precept that's actually speaking to and about the ultimate nature of everything that you can actually realize. And if you wanted to, to do some cause and effect, it's because somebody realized this 2,500 years ago and began to teach that. And down through the centuries, other teachers, other students of the Buddha's Dharma have understood this and began to teach. So how, how are we to understand this if, if faced with all the negativity, but faced with all the craziness and the, the aggression in the world? So this is, if you look at this closely and contemplate this and train your mind to see clearly, Eventually, you understand what is being pointed at by observing this precept. It doesn't mean that there isn't night and day or up and down, back and forth. It doesn't mean that the, the relative world isn't in our face all the time. Even when we sleep, it's occurring some kind of polarity, some kind of success and failure and good and evil coming and going. But fundamentally, the fundamental understanding only activity, only awakened activity. My way of saying this, as of 1977, when I realized it in my own mind stream, didn't mean I realized, it doesn't mean I was enlightened in 1977. Uh, my whole mind was full of rocks. But nothing sleeps. To realize that is to not only realize that, to see that, to understand that, but also to not be at war with anything, to fully acknowledge, acknowledge 
what has been done. We acknowledge what has happened. This is a way we work with our mind stream in terms of the things that where we have wronged someone, ourselves or others. We don't apologize for that as if there's somebody wrong, which creates more uh, egocentrism, sometimes called apologizing or forgiveness or all the other baloney. That being said, I'm not saying that you or anybody or maybe thousands, millions of people might need to work with relative truth in that way. Forgive people. You don't have to do that. If you understand what this vow is, you don't have to forgive anyone because nobody gets credit or blame. If somebody is wrong or to blame, then they've done something and you have to forgive them, which perpetuates the cycle of someone who's, who's done wrong but they have apologized, and then you, out of the kindness of your heart, have forgiven them. You don't have the right to forgive anyone. There is no one. There's no solid being. And if this terrifies you enough to go back into that discursive polarity that goes this way and that way and this way and that way and this way and that way, then you might want to train your mind to see what this is. This is not a mundane path of success and failure, of right and wrong, of praise and blame. It is a transcendent path which you can realize your true nature before you die. If you were, you're never going to die, we wouldn't even have a monastery. Why have anything? Just hang around, like I've said before, if we were here, about three or four hundred years it might take of bashing your head on a brick wall before you realize that maybe I shouldn't just shouldn't go to war with anything anymore. Maybe I don't have to do that anymore. But it might take a lot of beating yourself up, beating others up, killing people that won't die, because, like I said, nobody dies. When, when in reality, and when I ask with a capital R, by the way, nobody actually does die. But since we think we die, then that, that perpetuation of the polarity continues to go. Realize who you are. There's no guarantee. Guarantees are cheap. That's about a merchandising mentality. Nothing's for sale. Nothing is purchased. It's already the case. It's called in the Zogchen tradition, or uh, in the words of Longchenpa, I can paraphrase, everything is already perfect. There's nothing to correct. Only Buddha action exists. Because this has no otherness to it, has no nothing else to it, you can't prove it. You can't deny it. And if you see it, you can't ignore it. And if you see it, you can't ignore it because you are what you're looking at. You've actually transcended the dualistic confusion that people are wrestling with that perpetuates war and peace, war and peace, war and peace, war and peace. It has to be seen. And if you see it, you, you might be tongue-tied because you might see what there's no words for. But if you are endeavoring to help people, if you're a Dharma teacher and you wish to help people fundamentally with their permission that they come and ask you, then you begin to talk in such a way that will encourage them to see it themselves. This is why we if you come to this monetary, monastery and, and live, uh, you will be asked to do sitting meditation six and a half hours a day, or I don't know, it's four or five. It used to be every day. 
and now it's cut back a little bit because people are lazy, right? Lazy? No, because people have other, have other things to do and we are not funded by anybody. There's no way we can really comprehend what's what a statement like that. No praise or blame. What's that about? Of course, she, they, he did that, caused that terrible thing, or someone else dedicated their life and helped. People started a foundation to help um, homeless people or, or any kind of thing you can come up with. Don't they get some praise? Yes, but it's, that's the relative situation. What shows up, if it's grasped or rejected, no matter what you do with it, because it is dependently risen, because it is polarized, it will flip around and go the other way. It's just like an hourglass. Turn it over. One, one, one side is full. The one at the bottom is full. You turn it over. So without, without a spiritual path where you're doing this with your consciousness, not just with your thinking process or analysis or judgment mind, judgmental mind, you're actually seeing in front of you. It's the table, it's the chair, it's the rug. It's your partner's face, your child's face, your dog's face. A bird in the tree you've never met. But you're not separate from them fundamentally. If you see it, if you see this, the war is over. It's just, it's, you don't have to stop the war. It just stops. Only Buddha action exists, has to be seen. And even that has a lot of relative words like existence, non-existence. So then we're back into that. Well, if it exists, how about is everything else doesn't exist or wouldn't spend too much time there? So no praise or blame. Not that we couldn't do that. And it doesn't mean that if someone comes and uh, brings you your cigarettes, oh, wait a minute, you shouldn't be smoking. If somebody doesn't come and bring you your car keys or your or serve breakfast to you, or bring you some tea or some coffee that you wouldn't say thank you. If they didn't do, it's not that we're not we're not completely doing away with that. Just like in the the last line there, how does that go? The the where we bow to all things. Can you recite that? The last. We bow lines. to all beings and openly acknowledge what has been done. Yes. So we're not abandoning relative truth. We're not abandoning relative truth for some kind of polarized enlightenment or some kind of success story or some kind of universal kindness and love that that uh, overflows. It's not that you wouldn't have affection or you wouldn't have caring or there wouldn't you wouldn't have any emotions that would show up in that way, but to to acknowledge what has been done means that you you live in enlightenment. You don't live in uh, in warfare or peace here. You don't live in the polarities. I mean, you live in enlightenment, and it's there's no, there isn't anything that is the opposite of enlightenment. Way before I got got here, teachers who have understood this, have seen this for themselves, have even said that uh, afflictions and awakening are not two different things. How could that possibly be? How how could pain and pleasure, war and peace, good and evil? Any kind of polarity you want to bring up, not be separate from each other. Toji. So uh, does dependent, core, uh, dependent origination express Buddha nature? Yes. 
dependent origination shows us by understanding that teaching, which is not, you can't, this isn't a, uh, a quick study, dependent origination, that there's no separate thing anywhere, that everything is dependent on every other singularity or apparent singularity to provide us all with the illusion that there are separate things that actually have their own independence, including this body-mind complex. It's there. We're not saying it's not there. We're not saying there isn't a voice here. We're not saying there isn't an old man sitting here saying things. We're just saying it's not separate. He, she, they, the, this, anything is not separate from anything else. If you realize that in your mind, mind stream, you, you won't make any more choices about anything. You will, you will not see, you will not find a boat with two oars. You will not find, uh, there will be no either or. There's just, justice, just, just Buddha activity exists. And you are not separate from the Buddha. You're not the Buddha, but you're not separate from that. And you will function out of that, much to the dismay of those around you. Sometimes earlier on, uh, the uh, was it was a Vivian, Vivian then asked the question on the open, not open heart, but uh, as it is meditation at six o'clock, ask about the idea of crazy wisdom, and it shows up as crazy because uh, because we because our mind is wired in a dualistic idea of it should be, it shouldn't be, it's right or it's wrong. We have to correct things or fix things. Oh, it can look crazy, but one who is functioning in that way, functioning out of whatever arises, not separate from it. So therefore, the way you will be functioning, if you realize your true nature, uh, you'll have no idea what's going to happen next, and you won't mind, and you will not be threatened by anything because there's no longer uh, an individual that is afraid of something else. Not only is there no individual anymore, but the, but the something else is gone also. The subjectivity and the objectivity are no longer separate things. So they may show up dependent origination. They may show up ultimately depending on everything else. So they don't go away. They're just unreal. Where did that translation originate from that we have for our precepts? I'm not sure, you know. I'm not sure there's lots of ways that's translated. Some uh, have said that this is Coben's translation. I've heard that said before. But I don't know that for sure. I just know that it can be spoken of very simply and also can be long and drawn out the way this one is. It's more explaining. What does it mean to fully acknowledge what has been done? How does that? How does Open, that? Yeah. Huh? Openly acknowledge. Openly acknowledge. Very good. Which Thank I, you. What is it to openly acknowledge? What has been done? To see what comes and goes with no, no post-it notes, nothing extra, nothing explaining anything, nothing justifying anything. Just that, just that. Just Buddha activity, just awake, just awake, always awake, living in enlightenment. Go ahead. When you're bowing, so in terms of um, the war that's in our TVs, in our lives, yes in Ukraine and Russia, and the horrendous scenes that are shown there. Is that openly acknowledging what has been done? Is what openly acknowledging watching CNN? Those pictures, the, the... 
films that we see on our TVs or okay. any war. I, I, I could also. Not, not particularly. No, it's not. That's not but openly acknowledging what has been done. It's fighting with it. Awesome. But the issue, but the issue there is not so much that if you openly acknowledge what has been done, then of course, then everything's going to be okay because now we're openly acknowledging what has been done. But it's rather to see that what is showing up that is dependently risen in terms of that war, in terms of the horrible stuff that people are going through, not only there, but in, in Palestine or in Syria or any other place in the world where, uh, you know, the streets of Chicago, places where people are mistreated, abused in the name of the state or in the name of somebody who's in charge, power. But that the causes and conditions that are behind any of that are so extensive and untraceable, and they started a long time ago. So all of the things coming together and showing up have been going on for a long, long time. So it's rare for someone caught in the milieu that we call samsara to, for, for them with all the seduction and all of the sales pitch, whether it's on, whether it's in the 13th century, whether it's last, whether it is in the 13th century or whether it is in last week on YouTube about do that, do this, do it this way. Let's do, this is the right way. This is how to do this. All kinds of commercials for everything. So not particularly opening or uh, uh, acknowledging what has been done. That situation needs to happen in the mainstream of an individual. It's not that that couldn't happen with the whole society or with the whole sangha. It could, but it needs to happen within each person. You're bowing. So is there, from a practitioner's standpoint, a meditator's standpoint, what is our responsibility in bowing to all beings and openly acknowledging what has been done? Just receive. Receive. And then by receiving, you'll know if you have a, a karmic, let's, let's say it in a, in, a, in a strong way, a karmic obligation to pack your bags and go to Ukraine and uh, go on the rifle range there and start training people or training with people. If you need to do that, I'm not against that. I'm not here promoting uh, anything other than train your mind. Find out who you are so you have no doubts. You don't get your identity from anything, anyone, anyone's opinion about of you and who you are, where you're going. Find, you find out. And then when you roll out of bed and you look at the world through, whether it's the television or the, or the uh, internet, uh, um, TikTok or whatever, wherever you're, wherever this is coming from that is being produced by everyone all over the place, then you will see, because you're no longer confused about your identity, you will see whether you need to just stay home or whether you need to send money to Mayun in France to help her with her children's foundation. Just simply put, to talk about somebody I know is deliberately trying to do that. Or whether you need to I don't know. There's just so many ways that can, you can respond to that. And one of the ways you can respond to it is train your mind so you don't step up off from your out of your house or into your, uh, your car or onto the train or into a plane and go and take your unexamined 
chaos into the world. It's already full of chaos. It's very difficult. I'm sure you've noticed uh, when, if you're in a room, if you had not really dealt with your own anger in such a way you understand what it is, you'll notice if somebody gets angry around you, it'll start to vibrate and you'll have anger in yourself, maybe wanting to stop them, or you might have anger uh, because that you get upset when you're around anyone who's angry because of your own difficulty with anger. And the only way you can deal with that is to try to figure out the way you were treated when you were five years old. And maybe you're succeeded. Maybe you had no memories of what happened when you were five. I'm going off in somewhat of a tangent here, but it's dependently arisen. You're not going to be able to track it down. But what can you do? What you need to do is showing up in your mind stream over and over and over. Take it to the wall. Sit down. It doesn't have to be a wall. You don't have to be a Buddhist. I think it's very difficult to do work on this without some kind of support from somebody who might know a little bit more than you do, to put it literally. And from a teaching, some kind of a teaching that goes directly towards what this is, just like this uh, seventh precept does. It's a powerful precept. It's actually pointing at ultimate truth, but not avoiding relative truth. Powerful. All of these precepts are like this. Like, just like the first one of no taking life, not to interrupt the mandala of the present moment as no taking life precept. Not to interrupt the mandala. But yeah, you can't help but interrupt the mandala. If you're going to eat, you're going to have to take the life of something. So we're caught on that right-wrong situation just by being a living being, part of this situation. It's done with awareness. It's not done with the thinking process of right and wrong. It's very easy for us, any of us, to sit back who that came into this world with a kind of karma that didn't cause extreme anxiety, extreme suffering, where we're suffering so much, we just want to run headlong into someone else and take them apart. Maybe we had a pretty good uh, situation being raised. Maybe a hundred years ago, this is what was happening. It's not separate, not separate. It's not separate. Separated, separated all over the place. But fundamentally, it's not two different things, not three different things. The otherness is seen through. You actually, at the same time, you shake hands, you hug people, you thank people for going to the grocery store for you, and you relate in a very relative way. At the same time, your, your mind never leaves enlightenment. And it's not a maintenance. You can't make yourself do it. You can't talk yourself into it. You can't think your way into it. Those who understand it use it, might use the thought process or thinking or concepts to help explain that to you. The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links on the Chain of Existence. And then the other one, we study the 30 verses of Vasubandhu, which says every time you read it, every verse is telling you conceptually how this whole setup works. It's pointing to something, something that is not conceptual. Other questions? Jessica Belling. Jessica. What is repentance in this context? Just to acknowledge it rather than, rather than uh, be ashamed particularly. If shame is coming up in your mind relative to anything, or pride, which is the other pole, those two get stretched apart. And sometimes we, ego is maintained through shame or ego is maintained through pride. Someone who's 
really kind of above the fray because of their superior intelligence or their, or their, you know, just they're able to understand things better than everyone else. That, that, that person might actually talk to themselves that way. Or maybe it goes the other way and they go into some kind of just terrible feeling that they can't get anything right, that they harmed others. And it's not that relatively they haven't, but there's no solid person there. This doesn't mean we ignore the whole thing and open all the jails and let all the people out because nobody's to blame for anything. No, we deal with that as it is. And that is to protect other people from the people who are so confused about this that they will take it out on others not realizing that those others are their, uh, have been their mothers, that they're, they're deeply, we're deeply related to everyone. Uh, fundamentally, not even the different people. We're the same. We're all Buddha, all awake. So openly, openly acknowledging uh, what has been done. Well, this doesn't mean we're ashamed. And the repentance is about just acknowledging it. It isn't about apologizing. Although sometimes even in the Buddha's Dharma, especially in countries that, that have a lot of uh, shame going on, like culturally Japan does, more about that dynamic. So it might function a little bit differently with the uh, Japanese monks, or that whole tradition. Although I don't see it show, showing up in Dogen particularly, a little bit more. Just goodbye. Is it still painful to acknowledge without blame uh, or or praise, Bowen? Paraphrase your question. Say in other words. Jessica Bowen, without praise and blame, does acknowledging what's been done, I, I'm thinking about the situation in Ukraine or war or something like that, is it, does it still come with suffering and pain? Yeah. So we can always return, and this is not nihilism, it's not negativity, it's just the truth. The very first words, as far as we know, I was not there. There's nobody alive that was there, but it was the first words out of the Buddha's mouth after his realization was, life is suffering. The Four Noble Truths, life is suffering or discontent. And life is, we have nerve endings, and even though sometimes they are soothed and even tickled, uh, a lot of the time, they're just abraded and tortured by being alive. And the cause of that, as he described it, is we want something else. We don't want what's happening. We want, it needs to be slightly different. We're never really, as they say, satisfied. And if you were to say, take that and say, well, does that mean that someone who is awake is satisfied? No, that's, that's not even an issue because they're, there, there is no polarity there anymore. So whatever happens is Buddha nature. This doesn't mean that the person who is awake is somehow validating somebody's mistreatment of someone else. It might be more like that person would not allow that mistreatment to happen if they were anywhere near it. And they wouldn't need permission from someone to, to stop it. And that's not interfering with dependent origination. That is dependent origination. But the ego mind will say, oh, no, I shouldn't step in there. But one who is awake knows when to step in. And how do they know? They, because they, they do it. They don't sit back and say, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't say that because that might. No, you, you would say it or you would. But it's not, it's not impulsive so much. And it's not protecting something particularly. 
it is the only word I can think of that might come close to it is it's just spontaneous. It just generates out of its out of the atmosphere that it is showing up in. Just mine. It's actually a slightly different area, but what does awake actually mean, bowing? Well, the relative uh, awake is like this is sleep, <laughs> <laughs> and this is awake. Oh, silly, but it's it's a polarized situation where the actual awake is nothing ever sleeps. The eyes close, the, the, the whole sensorium uh, begins to close down as far as uh, receiving, but what is fundamentally true is not sleep. And that, that is available. That, that is not, you're not separate from it. You're already from, from this uh, perspective that is uh, tied into this voice pattern that you're listening to is already looking at the Buddha, always. Even uh, these, some of these horrible people on the world scene are not separate from the, from the, from awake. From it's just that fear has called, caused them to go in, and you can't pull them back out of the fear because of the relative construct. And that, and that, if you try to do it in a relative way, you get caught in that loop that is tied in with this particular organism called a human body, which shows up in the human realm, along with the other uh, five realms in the sixth realm. Uh, construct that shows us how the mind is working to get things, push away things, be greedy, even be generous. Get caught in that loop and then we think we are a living being. We think we are this body and who you are is not, it's, there is this body situation that consciousness is showing up in, but you are not, there, there's no identity happening here other than the one that is imputed or gathered or grasped through fear or through greed through uh, need. We need something, so we try to take something for ourselves. What's the relationship between awake and consciousness? Consciousness is just, it doesn't have any particular dynamic. So the practice is to be aware, which is a uh, something is arising in consciousness, and we're aware of the table, of the computer screen, aware of people sitting in the room, so there's awareness there. But there's no person who's aware. Awareness is just, awareness is just occurs. It doesn't belong to anyone. The ownership is not there. The boundaries are, as it says in the Heart Sutra, the walls of the mind, without walls of the mind. More, the mind is uh, maybe embodied as a human form. It may not. It may be sound asleep. It may be dreaming. So consciousness um, is a, a big word. So the, in the yoga chara tradition, it's the whole situation is called consciousness only. Sometimes in the Zen tradition called mind only, everything's just mind. And that doesn't hold up very good to inspection because we say, well, it can't be mind. It's just a part of a tree. It can't be mind. But that we have to look at your idea of what you mean by mind. And then and that causes us to to fasten on to our materialistic understanding of what this situation is. I'm here in three-dimensional space, and, and gravity is holding me down. All these things we just take for granted, we don't realize that if one of those went away, it would be a quite an exceptional experience, like suddenly no more gravity. So we get, we, we get used to certain things. It's almost like 
we enter the culture of being a human being. And then as we, uh, just like if we watch Rumi or our tiniest monk here, monkey, I should say, you know, we watch how he slowly is learning how to be a person. You noticed, and you, you notice that he's really interested in controlling everyone. He will tell his mother and father what to do next. I think he's even said to either one of them said, leave the room now. Hasn't he said it something like that? Like, go away, right? Yeah. Unusual for a three-year-old to do that. So it's interesting to see how he's learning or looking around and seeing how to function. And that a lot of that is coming out of fear. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> how can we openly acknowledge what has been done while working with the idea of victim and perpetrator? Don't take your eyes off from victim and per perpetrator, but don't necessarily join it with some kind of idea about what to do with it. You may find yourself doing something very definitely with it being a therapist. You're going to be working with sometimes with one and maybe with both. This is what happens in restorative justice programs, which is a fairly sane way of working with intense confusion and warfare uh, in the mind streams of people who come together and what break the law. Instead of torturing people further, we go in and we look at, at it with the help of a therapist and try to understand what what are the causes and conditions dependent origination. We're going to go back and take a look and see how could we fundamentally help everyone in this situation instead of going and buying into uh, the, the victim, uh, the perpetrator has to be uh, punished and the, and the, and the victim, uh, the other way of doing that and say, or the victim has to be accused of creating that situation themselves. This is another way of mistreating everybody. So the, it takes, I think, I feel, it takes a strong understanding of the nature of this in order to do this um, effectively in a relative way, in a relative world. So train your mind so that you don't take your unexamined fear into a situation and try to fix something else based on your projection of your unexamined fear onto them. Do you follow that a little bit? Because if you do that, it's not that you, you might end up kind of working on yourself through someone else's uh, neurosis or confusion. Clear. Be responsible for your emotions and feelings. Stop trying to get rid of everything. Stop trying to fix yourself and be a better person. What can we do when we're in a position like that and we're not yet clear? Just less is better, but that doesn't mean don't meet with them. Less is better. That doesn't mean don't suggest something to them. Less is better, but that doesn't mean interact with them and, and see, find out how, what can I do to help you? And quite often I say, I don't know what I'm going to do. You're the therapist. Ever had anybody say that to you? Yeah, something like that. I don't know what to do. You do it. You tell me what to do. And then what do you do? You work with that. You work with whatever energy comes your way because you've been in your situation. Now, I'm not saying a person couldn't be a therapist and be a wonderful therapist with no mind training, but it's less likely. 
They might they might have their their intelligence, their acumen, their understanding of relationship dynamics might be just naturally stronger than others. Might be really good at that, and their the particular karma they come into this life with might be more tied into people in a way that generates a lot of. Uh, um, I don't know. It's like some some therapists are just like snake charmers. <laughs> Is that all I'm going to get is a smile out of you? <laughs> some, some people are, have a lot of charisma. You have a lot of charisma. As I've told you before, all you have to do is sit in front of somebody. Your, your uh, consciousness just overflows with concern and caring for others. And all of a sudden, it's not a compliment. That's why people want to come and see you. You're not trying to repair anybody or fix anybody. You respect people's uh, lives, don't you? Further question? Further question? Yu Hongbaoing. Yong. When you talk about identity, you often say that we're not the body. So when you say that we're not the body, my my mind goes to oh. It goes to O? No. My mind goes to the other direction. I'm not Wait. the body. No, sorry. Let me start over. Okay. <laughs> I'll start over with you. Hey, we'll do it together. Yes. Yeah, so when you talk about the identity, um, you often say that we're not the body. When when I hear the sentence, I make the conclusion, I'm not a body. Is it a type of ignorance, Bobby? I don't think so. Uh, although if you continue to operate in that way, that, that won't last. It'll change. It could deepen your understanding of what this teaching is about, of not being, it's the idea of being fixed on the body as some kind of a structure that, that you are. So it's, uh, when, when Dogen said in the 13th century, drop off body and mind, he didn't mean stop identifying or stop having a hand or kind of imagining that, that your body was some kind of an apparition, but it's, it's the attachment to this as being uh, somebody going somewhere. It's the attachment and the protection that is happening there, and the fear that something can go wrong or that someone can be harmed. And the thought patterns are uh, uh, very similarly. He's saying drop off body and mind. He's not saying get rid of the mind and stop thinking, just saying the attachment to the thoughts. My way of saying it uh, would be uh, don't believe your thoughts. I'm not the first one to say that. I'm saying that, and one of the ways you do that is notice the way you'll have thoughts, and you'll you'll notice that they seem convincing, and that's uh, an illusion. There's no way all thoughts all thoughts are makeshift and are partial truths and are are you want to say it directly are lies in a sense because they they do not they're fabrications they're structures about something they're not the actual thing. You can't actually think a piece of furniture. 
not that you can't have a piece of furniture, but you have to, you can't just think it, manifest it that way. You have to make it or buy it from, uh, what is it, Wayfair? Hey, homebound. So I'm confused by conclusion. Is that a situational, like the awareness or how, what, what do you mean that don't conclude? What I'm referring to there is the conclusion is seeing something as a, uh, shows up a certain way and rather than, than continue to look at that and receive that, which is what you're doing when you're practicing Shikantaza, sit down, watch the movement of the mind come towards you and fade away and come back and show up with gaps, show up with particular whatever word structures or ideas, emotions might come and go. But to abandon what shows up for what it's about is to conclude. And as soon as you conclude anything, the, the consciousness, uh, insofar as being an open frontier, closes down. It's called walls of the mind. It just feels safer to have opinions and ideas and, and just believe stuff. It's safer because then you, you know, it's... Then you operate out of concepts that are, uh, function as walls of the mind or bars. And you don't have to do that. You can live in an open dimension where you don't know anything, but you don't miss anything. And you also jump, don't jump to a conclusion about anything that's rising in the mind stream or in your life stream or in your living room or on the news. Please don't stop. Keep coming. So I'll return back. You have to realize it. it. It might sound okay, might sound good, might sound inspiring to read this text. It's very inspiring for, for me to hear Union recite this. I've recited it a few times. Contemplate parts of it. Only Buddha nature. Only Buddha action. Only Buddha. Only enlightenment. There isn't anything else. This is not some kind of simplistic idea of blocking the whole world out in the confusion and, and some kind of idealistic utopian mentality that we're just going to live in, uh, in some kind of storybook or some kind of a, um, a Pollyanna idea that everything's okay. We just won't look. No, you're, you're going to look right at the blood and guts. You're going to look right at the dead bodies on the streets of, of uh, cities in Ukraine. But as far as the certain people are responsible well, completely that there's just evil, uh, that's a misunderstanding. I'm not saying it doesn't appear that way. But to go in and just get a chokehold on that so you don't have to look any deeper into it, because what is happening there is happening in our mind streams. It's a different version of it, but it's, it's a similar kind of war and peace going on there. And what's happening there has been going on for centuries and centuries as far as cause and effect, just the, just the cause and effect of what's happened in Ukraine and what's happened in Russia and uh, down through just in the, in the 20th century. It's just a, a lot of chaos happening with societies and ideas about how society should be run. A lot of confusion. 
But the confusion that we need to look at and understand is out in the world is extremely complex. Not that you can't get into it somewhat and write a book about it or have a position on it. But the best way, the best place, the primary place to look at that is here. Sit down, face the wall. Not not just here intellectually, not sit back with a cup of coffee and, and a legal pad and scratch down ideas about the nature of your mind and, and what's going on in your mind stream or analyzing your your horoscope or your uh, Enneagram. Not that those aren't very fascinating. They are. But they will not help you to see di directly. They help, might help you of some, but not help you to directly see your true nature. What will help you is to look at the false nature without fixing it. It's not easy to do because when we see the confusion in the mind, we want to do one of three things. We want to stop it, chop it up, get rid of it, aggression. Or we want to explain it or blame our parents for it or blame ourselves or ridicule ourselves for not being able to control our thoughts or control our mind or our emotions. So there's the aggression part. And those are lots of elaborations that you can go there. And then the third one is to just ignore it. Just look away from it. The Buddha didn't ignore anything. The Buddha, the Buddha's awakening was to receive everything, all the confusion, all the suffering in the world. He stopped separating, separating himself from everything. Do I know that? Is it some kind of a fact that I checked up on somewhere in uh, Wikipedia? No. It's just that that is awakening. There's no, no separation between anything anymore. That's why I say to you, you don't have to be somebody else. You get to actually, the very raw material of awakening is in your mind stream. How does the confusion of the world show us the confusion of our mind? Um, Well, you watch your news, don't you? How much? Half an hour. Only a half hour a day? Really? Yeah. That's probably enough. <laughs> yeah. These days, it's probably enough. What do you do with that when it happens? You see what happens. What happens in your mind? You're here, you turn on the news, and you receive that. What happens? Tell me. Mm, I want to pick a side. So that's showing you something. You see that you're looking for right and wrong. And it's not it's not that there isn't something that's that won't fill the bill of, of you know out and out evil if you want to go there. Out and out wonderful, good, kindness, loving, everything if you want to go there. So how's it showing you your mind? It looks like the warfare. I can help you with that, but you may need to contemplate this a, a little bit. It is your mind. You're always looking at your mind. If you think you're looking at some kind of three-dimensional somewhere, that too. But the fundamental situation is you're looking at your mind. It's always a mirror. There are teachings that go back that use the realization of what this is as a mirror. The teaching person is here to help you with that. 
if you are a student. If you're not, then you may have to be a student of CNN. I don't know. I'm bowing. So if I see um, images of um, dead people laying in the street, do I need to bring that to the cushion, bowing? Not necessarily. No, <laughs> don't necessarily bring anything to the cushion unless it follows you there. And if it doesn't, then look at whatever's arising is appropriate. Once you sit down, take your seat, sit in a symmetrical posture with an attitude of just receiving whatever is continuing to move after you've, uh, you've returned to stillness. And that's, that's your object of meditation. It may be pictures of those people. I know the one that haunts me is uh, seeing a woman's, who was a corpse, woman's hand in the dirt, whose uh, fingernails were quite beautifully painted. But the re it was all very bruised. It, it brought both of those images of someone that a few days ago might have been having her nails done you know, somewhere in the town she was in. And now she's dead because she was shot. It's uh, pretty intense. So don't abandon that for what it means. Just look at that. That's your mind. What do we do with the pain that comes up around that? Receive it. Receive it. Just receive. Just, just feel that. Not separate from anything, anywhere, but we tend to seal ourselves off from everything and have limited pain, and which is called pain and pleasure, pain and pleasure, pain and pleasure. Or pain, no pain, pain, no pain. Neutral, and then there's pain, neutral, and then there's pain. Bowing, um, you got a lot of bowing to do. Would it be the same <laughs> with numbness? If you are experiencing some kind, you feel numb to what you're seeing? Well, the awareness that you're getting numb is still awareness. So rather than call it a state of numbness, the, the numbness that is actually blocking or uh, hindering your understanding, uh, you won't know that you're numb. That's the very nature of numb or, or ignorance. You don't know it. You shut it off. It's succeeded for a while. But to know that you're getting numb to something is there's still a quality of of awareness around seeing that you're you're some kind of a knee-jerk reaction, perhaps, perhaps, of wanting to just shut down and just not look at this. One of them is just to can't watch the news kind of thing. Is there a final question? Is there a final question out there in uh Zoom? Especially someone who hasn't asked a question? There's only 38 people there, so it might be hard for you to come up with a question. Kumbang, you, you say we all have Buddha nature. Can Buddha nature um, be expressed in different ways? Yes. Um, yes. And uh, sometimes I just feel like I'm very, uh, I admire people have and people can embody the Bodhicitta quality, and somehow that um, that causes a, a a fear for me. So how can I see that deeply? So uh, bodhicitta, there's two kinds of bodhicitta. Ma, uh, bodhi is as awakening, and chitta is mind. So awakened mind, and the way this is taught uh, for centuries, uh, taught by. Uh, 
uh, teaches in his seven points of mind training and also by Shanti Deva and others. Um, is that uh, it's the mind of awakening that is that is as relative as endeavoring to fundamentally help people in a relative way, put others before oneself, even deliberately trying to do that. Uh, sometimes this is a, a practice that I don't teach because I, um, well, I have reasons for not teaching that we could, I could go into it another time, but it's called Tonglen or the practice of uh, exchanging oneself for others by using the breath. I don't, I don't teach that because it's too mechanical. Uh, uh, that mechanical kind of thing allows uh, aspects of consciousness to come in uh, that um, might be better not uh, not to invite. So that's why I do that. But that doesn't mean you can't have a gesture of wanting to include others like we do here when we do a Maitri Bhavana. We're not, we don't, it isn't about results. Uh, spiritual path is about intention. It's about results. We're right back to being held responsible for this or that, or, you know, or having some kind of a guarantee that that meditation practice will work. Uh, the very path to awakening is uh, uh, feels like failure because it's not a mundane path. It's a path of transcendence, of transcending this very world of greed and accomplishment and notoriety and praise and blame, transcending that. So relative bodhicitta is is just doing the best you can, and there are practices for that. One of them is uh, we do at the end of every, uh, we say chants, we say we dedicate the merit to others. Any merit that comes uh, through this practice that we do, may, may we're going to give it away to everyone. So it's the gesture of doing that, not to see, did everybody get it? Did, is this working? Is a compassion really going to work? Or, so it's not a relative thing. It's something you give away. And so I feel like uh, knowing you, I don't know you really well, but I think you're, you're doing fine with that. You know, you're, 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 you have a lot of sincerity and your intention is to, is to help others, starting with your family and with anyone you meet. So I don't see you any other way than that. So I, I would not be too concerned with that. What I would be concerned with, if you want my feedback, is train your mind a lot. You get a lot of sitting meditation in. A lot. Sit down, hold still, watch, look at the ball. And then ultimate bodhicitta is uh, to see uh, uh, that everything is uh, already the, uh, what it needs to be. And ultimate bodhicitta, bodhicitta is what is being addressed in this uh, seventh uh, uh, prohibitory precept. Say prohibitory or grave precept. It just means it's, it challenges you a little bit. When you want to recite that again, ultimate bodhicitta. The seventh prohibitory precept no praise or blame only buddha action exists to know there is no one to hurt and no one to be hurt no one to benefit and no one to be benefited we bow to all beings and openly acknowledge what has been done i think we can end right there May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.
affections, the three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna Paramita. Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions and the Three Times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and fill them with light. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.